Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and joining me, as he always does on this lovely Thursday afternoon, PFF's finest, Kevin Cole, host of the Unexpected Points Podcast, does a bunch of other cool shit behind the scenes at PFF. Kevin, what's going on, man? Happy week two. Happy week two to you. PFF's finest? I don't know. I mean, top three, maybe, you know, top five, probably, almost certainly. Uh, but I, we've got to be modest. We've got to be humble. We don't want to be overconfident. So I'm going to say uh, top three. Okay, so say top three. I got to work on diversifying my intros. I say the one and only a lot. And like I, when I say that for five different people, I think it probably loses its uh, appeal at some point. But we'll watch the film and get better, as always, Kevin. Today's topic, want to do a panic or chill, uh, basically, conversation on a bunch of duds from week one. Guys that we hyped up all offseason and it didn't come to fruition in week one. Maybe it was a one-week blip on the radar. Maybe it's a sign of things to come. Kevin and I are here to tell you guys exactly that today. So without further ado, let's get after it. Kevin? Are you worried about Aaron Rodgers? He looked terrible in week one. Now, would have been a lot cooler if Christian Watson caught that 75-yard touchdown to start the game. Also, didn't exactly have either of his starting offensive tackles. And, oh, yeah, his number one wide receiver was out. I tend to not worry too much. With that said, Packers offense, only seven points to start the year. I think they're going to score more than that, more weeks than not. But just looking at this Packers offense, like what do you kind of think their ceiling is moving forward? Should we just anticipate this being more of a middle-of-the-road offense overall? Yeah, I think that's middle of the road is probably not correct. But there were issues with Rodgers built into like his ADP coming into the season, right? That it wasn't going to be the heaviest pass volume. It wasn't going to be the fastest pace offense. And how Rodgers gets it done, especially the last couple of seasons, is just on efficiency. So if that wanes a bit, and we did see that happen, it's not like this has never happened before from – 2015 to 2019 you know Rodgers wasn't quite the same type of player that he who he had been in the past so that can't happen and there are reasons for it you mentioned the offensive line I think people don't realize how good of an offensive line Rodgers has had for almost his entire career it's an offensive line that's been the top five you know for most of his career in PFF grading and he's a guy who likes to hold the ball sometimes he's normally pretty good at moving around the pocket but uh, he can take some sacks, too, and that's not really a concern in fantasy football as much as it is in real football, but it can kill drives. and that. So I think it just could be a little bit clunkier, but I think things will come together, though, because they have pieces. You mentioned Christian Watson, who, you know, <laughs> Rodgers basically is dead to him now, but I don't know if Rodgers is going to be able to do the whole dead-to-me thing. Um uh poor Amari Rogers man he was uh he's dead to him too like he's everyone's dead to to, to this guy um so I, I think there's a level of concern but again it's not really surprising me that he's he's not going to be a super productive guy going forward because I don't think anyone really thought that just 5.7 yards per attempt only guys lower than him in week one minimum 25 dropbacks Kyler Murray Joe Flacco Mitch Trubisky Dak Prescott and Jacoby Brissett not great company I'm gonna say on a limb Kevin you have one fantasy team you can have Aaron Rodgers or Justin Fields for the rest of the season who are you taking um I'm probably gonna take I guess I'd take Rodgers but okay. I don't know man I, neither you, yeah you hesitated I think that tells you all you need to know about where let me get um I'm just trying to try to think of who can come in. Uh, g- g- give me some uh, Kenny James. Pickett. Just give me Kenny. Kenny get, 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 Kenny Pickett needs to be playing. By the way, Tomlin, what the hell is going on here? That that offense. Okay, I know he's not even on here because no one cares about. No, let's talk some anyway. Kenny Pickett. Fuck it, come on. Well, because it's okay. They got five turnovers in that game. Five turnovers. Okay, <laughs> sacked Joe Burrow seven times. Yet they 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 were uh, blocked extra point. 
and a missed chip shot, chip shot field goal, both of those different times away from losing this game. Who's like, oh yeah, let's run that back. Let's run that back with with uh, with Trubisky the next week. It's just, oh my god. And the, the talk before the game that he's going to be playing all season, I just hate it because it just gives gives him a little bit more rope. Where at the very least now, if they lose, play the the Patriots. I think this week, I think they will lose. Even if they lose this week, it's like, well, we're one and one. We're still whatever, and he's going to get another start. Oh my god, it's just it just doesn't make any sense to me. He does not give you a better chance to win. There's no we already had evidence for multiple years, and now we had evidence for another week. So I don't anyway. Um, I, I I can't get over uh, Mitchell Trubisky potentially being a starting quarterback for more than a single half in 2022. I'm pleased to announce that this football season it took me all of about three hours to lose complete faith in my ability to hit a prop bet. Mitch Trubisky under 20 and a half completions. Kevin, I grinded it. It looked good. I went on a radio show and I even cited what you said about, you know, two and a half starts. How about two and a half quarters? I agree with you. I didn't think Trubisky was going to have a long leash. The Pittsburgh Steelers somehow managed to get a lead. Inexplicably, the Bengals stayed in the game. Missed Trubisky after playing overtime as well. 21 completions, one over. I know, but you needed all that time. And if you look at the, the target like distribution, like a map on there for it, it looks a lot like Ben Roethlisberger playing all the all this thing in the offseason. Well, it can't get any worse. It can't get any worse. Can't get any worse. Miss Trubisky came in. You know, hold my beer. Uh, action <laughs> from from Trubisky coming in here. It's like, oh yeah, it can't. It actually can't get worse. Yeah, that was always the issue. It's like, yeah, I, I fully understand how bad Big Ben was, but you know, we're doing Big Ben versus Trubisky and a rookie quarterback. Certainly not. You know, the it's kind of like the Muhammad McLovin thing. Why the hell are these the two options that we're going between? All right, another quarterback disappointed in Week One. Trey Lance. Okay, we saw all that freaking. I've never seen an NFL football field look the way that 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 did at Soldier Field by the end of that game. The field was like turning black. It was absolute madness. Fun time, not for Trey Lance fantasy football managers. You go ahead and look ahead to Sunday. Also going to be freaking rainy in San Francisco. Can we get Trey Lance in a dome one time in the year 2022, please? Kevin, I'm not worried about Trey Lance moving forward. Maybe this week we're going to have another freaking mosh pit, but this happens sometimes. I remember Baker Mayfield in uh, 2020 had like the three straight just shitty weather games, and it kind of skewed a lot of our uh, stats and what we were thinking about these guys. But from my perspective, Trey Lance, we still saw all the rushing upside, and that's the only reason why we're treating this guy as a QB1 in the first place. His arm, not great, but we still had that nice little sideline bomb to Juwan Jennings, the kind of crosser to Brandon Ayuk. Overall impression on Trey Lance, and like, are you even kind of factoring that week one in to what you're expecting from him moving forward? I mean, it's only factoring into maybe less likelihood that he's like legitimately good quarterback you know maybe like that outside chance that you would get not on this sort of level but a second year you know Patrick Mahomes out of nowhere second year Lamar Jackson out of nowhere second someone that would just completely smash the rest of your league in that sort of area that is probably a little bit on the downside but the case for Lance the floor case for Lance and even I would say the most likely case for Lance isn't that he's going to be an MVP quarterback it was that he's going to score a lot of fantasy points, even if he's not that good. And so that that still, I believe, applies for him going forward. And that has really not changed. Now there's an outside chance that two different things can happen, which might derail him in a season long league. But again, it's not really, it's more like one week could be derailed by it, not the entire rest of the season. Yeah. Is that number one, he could get injured. Like he ran the ball a lot, which I think was good. Did he slide one time? I couldn't believe that yeah, watching he, it. 
it just looked bad. Like yeah. Jalen Hurts ran the ball a ton also, but you know, Hurts gets out of bounds. He gets down. He kind of protects himself pretty well. Trey Lance was getting hit and then having two guys jump on top of him when he was on the <laughs> ground every, every single play. So I think for that reason, I'd be scared that he's going to potentially get injured. And I guess there's an outside chance multiple weeks down the road that, you know, he gets benched and they bring in, and they bring in Jimmy Garoppolo. So those things are out there for like your season long type of outlook, but outlook for week two, week three, those sorts of things. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're still plugging them in there. You're not going to find someone. I don't think as of now, that's going to be your second quarterback that you may have drafted that you're going to put in there instead. You still confident enough in Lance to put him ahead of guys like your Kirk cousins, like your Derek Carr, like your Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I, I I always put a Derek Carr is like he's okay, but um yes, yes, I would be confident, plenty confident enough to put him there this week. Now you know things can change though, things can change, but for now I, I think it's a it's not a no brainer, but I think it's something you got to do. It's a great point on the hits, though, with Trey Lance. I mean, there are a lot of Russian quarterbacks. And the studies I've seen, uh, shout out Dr. Edwin Porras, there's no actual like documentation that Russian quarterbacks are more injury-prone than pocket passers, which makes sense to me, just because a quarterback is actually able to evade the pocket and not be a sitting freaking duck in there. Like, yeah, they should be less injury-prone if we can even uh, find a way to find that. But Trey Lance out there, I don't think he slid once, just taking multiple big hits. On the other side of things, Justin Fields, does slide a lot. We always get to hear about his baseball background, you know, every other story is out there. But my God, Kevin, have you noticed how many times that Justin Fields slides and proceeds to still get like his head taken off? I don't think I've seen a quarterback get hit after the whistle, like basically more often than Justin Fields. So polar opposites there. Not exactly sure why Justin keeps getting these hits. Maybe the refs can throw. I mean, know, sliding is not plays. good. It's, it's kind of interesting. I had a conversation on my podcast, Unexpected Points. Uh, go ahead, ch- check it out on, uh, <laughs> on Apple. Um, with the director of data and analytics, I don't know, I, I've got his titles, but for the NFL, Michael Lopez. And he was talking about different studies they're doing. And one of the studies they're looking at is sliding because you're, when you slide back like that, you leave yourself so exposed, number one, your your head is like right in the wheelhouse. Also, you can't protect yourself. And then you sort of it, the head comes down to like the strike zone. And, and the head hits the ground hit. also. Yeah. That's a lot of concussions can happen that way too, is that the, the head and the helmet hits the ground there too. So yeah, I think sliding is one of these things where unless you do it really, really early, which mitigates the benefit of like a couple of yards you're going to get, it's going to be tough to do. And I think for Lance, the reason he's not sliding is they couldn't gain any yards and he like needed every single yard one of those ones where he could just you know casually slide at the end because he's normally fighting to get a first down every single time and needed to run through three people to do so no that's that's a very interesting point and the back of the head thing man i I love watching ufc mma and all that and they have very little rules in there but one of the things you see in boxing too no rabbit punching you can't hit people in the back of the head because it's just so much you know worse and you see actually when people get hit in the equilibrium kind of up and above their ear like how their legs just go out so yeah just the idea of you know a quarterback sliding now the linebacker who was trying to square up and hit them in the numbers is hitting them in the head and now their head is slamming back onto the ground not uh not great there starting to make more sense why Mike Vick uh, wasn't really a big fan of sliding uh, over the years diving head first if you have the space to do so maybe the move we'll see Alvin Kamara Kevin now he's dealing with the rib injury so I think we were a little more concerned like Monday before we kind of knew what was going on but rib injury aside do you see any actual problems going from Jubilees to Jameis we did see the heightened average target depth 9.6 yards for Jameis was the fifth highest mark in week one 
last year his usage did change man like this was a situation where we never saw alvin kamara you know go over 200 carries in the first four or five years of his career last year if he had stayed healthy you know he probably would have been clearing 300 so do you think alvin kamara is still someone that needs to be you know in our weekly top five top six running backs or is this new role in a post breeze offense maybe you know a little bit more akin to someone like a nick chubb uh well not nick chubb i was not nick chubb but um yeah, I, I, again, I just like this is within the range of expectations, I think, for him. Now, let's face it. If he was if this was prime Bruce, uh, Drew Brees, who he was playing with, then he would have been maybe the, the first or second or third running back off the board. Right. And, and he would be ranked up there every single week. So he's discounted. And I think the discount is fine. And yeah, James is not going to throw it to him as much as others, but he'll 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 get peppered in. They'll work targets for him you mentioned the rev injury i know his routes run were you know in the 40-ish sort of range as opposed to in the 65 range where he normally is there so that'll come back and i think at least Jameis looked good and efficient and was able to move the ball finally at the end of the game getting those scoring opportunities is also going to be important for him so this is a is, it's another one where i'm not that worried about him he just probably doesn't have a chance to be you know rb1 overall like he would have with drew Brees. but you know i don't think anyone thought that was a high probability type of thing uh, based upon where he's going in drafts anyway. It was fun watching Jameis. I, I don't want to say unlock Michael Thomas, but Michael Thomas had five catches for 57 yards and two touchdowns. Not one of those catches came on a slant, Kevin. It's one of those things over the years where the idea that Michael Thomas, who was playing with a late career Drew Brees, still very accurate, but could Drew Brees throw a ball over 40 yards in the year 2020? I, I really don't know. Taysom Hill. It just every time I think about Taysom Hill, that one play where he did like the triple crow hop and still underthrew Emmanuel Sanders by like 30 yards sticks in my head. Yeah, and, yeah, there was a fair catch, I think. I yeah, think exactly. essentially, he called for the fair catch on that one. And Teddy Bridgewater, like uh, who I, I don't think we're putting him on the cover of any arm strength magazines. Like those were the three guys that Michael Thomas was breaking the reception record with and just still putting up big time games even when Drew Brees was out of the picture. So now Michael Thomas, not even listening on the injury report this week. Are you fully drinking the Kool-Aid and back in, Michael? Michael Thomas as a wide receiver one Kevin I have him ranked top 20 it's it's we got the matchup of the week here against Carlton Davis you know the I want to say the first guy to actually coin the term slant boy back in the day they talked all kinds of shit so I'm I, I want to see like one more week before I'm fully back in with Michael Thomas but man you can't write up a better start in the season with him injury aside yeah, yeah, no, I, I was I was high on him going, and I guess my, one thing I'll, I'll mention this is probably something for everyone to think about, and how I'm trying to think about this as I keep on like saying this is what I thought before the season, and now I I, th I think the same thing. So I think it is important to, every time that you agree with like your preseason take to think about it and say, wait a second, am I properly weighing the evidence here? So I'll say that I was high on Thomas coming in, so this is not unexpected for me. The one thing that I think is going to be different for Thomas though. And the injury concerns, I was never as worried about the injury stuff, but when we talk about the, the other options there, which remember this was a passing game, which was trying to run the ball, trying not to be too explosive. Maybe that's kind of what they're going to want to do in better game script sort of situations. So that's a concern. Number two, Jarvis Landry, you know, looks like he was the leading receiver right last week. Olave looks okay. So there's just more options where you, you probably can't count on Thomas to be the week in, week out number one receiver there. Um, but at the same time, he was going, he was so cheap before that I, I think it's fine. I, I think, you know, you're happy. You're happy with what you're going to get from him, but he's not going to be Michael Thomas, you know, resetting the record books here just because there are more options of where uh, James can go with the ball. 
it was wild how they just could not and refused to really get a number two wide receiver during some of those years where Thomas was putting up those numbers. I'm, I will never slander Ted Ginn on this podcast, but when the man was like 34, 35 years old, like maybe you could have gotten a different number two out there. But yes, last week, Jarvis Landry actually had nine targets to Michael Thomas's eight, obviously made good use of them with seven catches for 114 yards. Alave looked good too. He did catch a two-point conversion. He does, man, that dude just creates separation so easily. He's been doing it since Ohio State. I love when he, he runs that fade, but he looks over his inside shoulder and then just naturally goes outside. And it's just money in the bank every single time. Saw him get a couple of those. Juwan Johnson, someone else, man, that uh, Nathan Yonke and I were hyping up on the waiver pod, just really getting, a, I mean, his route rate, I believe, was over 80%. And he was targeted a good amount, too. Did see him briefly flash beginning of last season. Do you think Juwan Johnson could actually be a thing, Kevin? Or is like Taysom Hill just going to basically suck away the fantasy value of any of these other tight ends that we start to get even remotely excited about? Yeah, I don't think he's going to be a thing. I mean, I think he's going to be a streaming option slash dart throw slash bi-week filler type of type of guy. Um, but again, like the offense looking good, the offense being good, particularly good like leverage for tight ends because you you, you kind of need like a touchdown from guys who aren't going to be like a real receiving tight end. So in fact, they'll be in the red zone. I think what I like about for these secondary tertiary fourth options on certain teams with a guy like James is I think James just throws it to whoever he believes is open. I don't think he locks in on anyone also. So in the, in the red zone, if he's open, if he's in the end zone, he could, he'll get targets. It was a uh, one play last year. I remember Juwan got the touchdown and it was like a pretty classic Jameis play where there's guys hanging all over and we just lofted it in the back of the end zone. He was hyped and you see him walk off the field and Sean Payton just immediately, what the hell was that, you know, in his face. So maybe without Sean Payton, you know, being that first guy off the bench, uh, Jameis feels more free to go full Jameis than ever. Never go full Jameis, uh, you know, shout out uh, Tropic Thunder back in the day. All right. Chargers here, Kevin Austin Eckler. Little bit troubling usage here. I, I love the uh, charts that Nathan's been using in his recap articles. He's basically just got all plays, early downs, goal lines, short yardage, third downs, you know, the whole shebang, two minute when it's at when it's applicable as well. So looking at Eckler versus Joshua Kelly and Sony Michelle, we don't really care about them. It's still too muddled behind Eckler, but just RB1 versus RB2. Eckler had 34 snaps. Kelly and Michelle uh, combined for 33 early downs Eckler was at 19 the other guys 28 Eckler still had the goal line snaps he was in there more short yardage third downs though four snaps to three for the other guys we know Eckler is not someone that wants to have, you know, all these touches, Kevin. But when we see his route rate, it was literally below Derrick Henry last week. Like, that's kind of the point we've reached here. That's problematic. If we're not going to have Eckler out there all the time when Herbert's passing, I mean, that's why he's a cheat code. That's why the Ecklers, the Kamaras, that's why we're ranking them with guys that could have potentially 100 more touches over the course of the season because of that sweet, sweet target upside. So we're recording this at a, it's 125 right now on Thursday. So if you're listening to this on Friday, maybe Eckler's already gone the hell off tonight against the Chiefs and you're just waiting to hear what we're going to say so Kevin give your analysis and uh, if you're wrong you know everyone listening to you right now is going to going to know it yeah well I, I'd say I'll have to bridge the, the gap here I'll say worried but not panicked I would say that's where where I fall in here 
So the thing is, you know, there's this thought of, well, it's a short week, so maybe they were resting and sort of thing. Do they do that in the NFL? I feel like in the NFL, yeah. coaches, they don't think about more than what's happening the next two or three plays into the future. And it's not like at the end of games, you know, they leave these quarterbacks in until the very end, even when you're up by like three touchdowns where a guy could potentially get injured. So I, I think that's narrative. I, I don't want to get into like that sort of stuff here. And I think you had, you know, talk about lessening his workload. He's a, he's he's a he's a little dude. He's a smaller dude. There's no doubt about that. And it seems like they like Sony Michelle. I mean, they brought him in and they're playing him already. So if they like, they kind of like Kelly, and at least they like him enough to to make inactive their uh, fourth round draft pick of uh, Isaiah Spiller. And then they like Michelle. That could be more of a factor than anything else. They say we have two options we like, and once you mix a third running back into it, you're going to have to be really thin on what that third running back and the second running back do in order to have enough left over for the first running back. So I'm concerned. Now, could things flip around tonight and he's back to being the guy he is? Yeah, it could. But I'm more concerned with this than I was concerned with him not being targeted. Was it, did not, one, was it one target or zero targets last year in week one? Because that's something that's going to fluctuate a lot more when you can't produce if you're not actually on the field. So that's more concerning to me. Yeah, and that's all it is. And once again, like 50% snaps, not the biggest deal. It's more so the routes and him just not even having a chance uh, to be getting those targets. Once again, let's see. I think it was just a 38% route rate. You guys can check my running back article. I got all these in there each and every week. 38% routes for Eckler. Jarek McKinnon was at 41%. Like Josh Jacobs was at – Josh Jacobs ran a higher percentage of routes than Austin Eckler last week. Like this is – not good. With that said, just one week. I'm not letting it impact me right now. Uh, hopefully that Thursday night game comes to fruition for all those Austin Eckler managers. Now, we got a bit of a sad one here, Kevin. Cam Akers, who you just love to throw in my face. So we did a little PFF fantasy draft. I don't know what some of these dudes were doing. We got some lovely developers who I all appreciate. If you guys are listening to this, I love all you guys. But my God, Kevin, like Pollard and Madison were going off the board in the top two rounds. There were some wonky picks going on. Wide receivers just falling down the board. And it became clear after the first four or five rounds that you and me were both doing a bit of a zero RB strategy. I'm not even sure if I got one running back in the first couple rounds hammering the wide receivers. We got Jefferson, some other studs. Round I think it was at the end of round five, maybe round six. I saw Cam Akers sitting there. I got excited, Kevin. I know Sean McVay's history of giving his featured back a full-time role. He does it more than almost anyone other than you know whoever happens to be running the Pittsburgh offense. And yeah, it was absolute worst case in week one. Not only did Cam Akers not start, Daryl Henderson was given, honestly, like, one of the most fantasy-friendly roles of the entire week. 78% route participation rate. That's the highest among any running back. 82% snaps. Only Saquon Barkley paid more, uh, played more at 83%. Like, if you just took away every single running back's name from last week, like, you could probably have Saquon Barkley, Daryl Henderson, and not too far behind them, Rex Burkhead popping up as the most fantasy-friendly guy. So, this is terrible. With that said, Sean McVay did come out and say that Cam Akers needs to play with, quote-unquote, an increased level of urgency. There were some instances where where there were some positive things and some things that you can do better, but we want to see just an increased level of urgency and accountability snap in and snap out from him. Quite a, quite the leap from we have two starting running backs and we plan on featuring them both equally. Again, history tells us that McVay picks a running back and leans on them. How do you feel with Cam Akers, Kevin? Because when I was writing it up, I basically said that now he's a premium handcuff option and it sucks that you spent a fourth or fifth round pick on a premium handcuff option, but I don't think we can rage cut him, but my God, like I, could name 50 running backs you should start ahead of him this week. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't. He's, he's unstartable right now. Um, yeah, I'll give myself props here. After our draft in our Slack channel here, I said I loved Ian's draft until he took the third best running back on the Rams. So I give myself props, and I'll also say credit to you. He might be the second best running back. Jake Funk. I don't know. Let's we'll see. Kyron Williams. Kyron Williams is on IR now, man. We got we got we got another one. Kyron Williams comes back. I might be right. I might be vindicated on that take. Uh, so yeah, but it's really hard. I didn't like him coming in. You saw what happened here. Now, things could flip around. I would say that. Like, if if someone drops him, maybe, you know, you can, you can snatch him up and get a deep bench. You can you can throw him on there. Things can happen. Even with these types of injury concern, guys, I mean, I know he's had some time, but things can also develop and get a little bit better as, as the season's going along. So he's not, like, worthless. But, yeah, that, probably the worst week for any sort of, like, assumed starting running back. It has yeah. to be, right? He's for sure the worst running back. I think Kadarius Tony's the worst wide receiver. Who we'll talk about more a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Tony, yeah. <laughs> they won though, so he doesn't care. Yeah. That's good to know. Where did Henderson fall in your uh, week two ranks? You can always find me, Kevin Nathan Yankees ranks on pff.com and with our lovely PFF app. I have him RB18, you know, just ahead of like CPAT, Montgomery, AJ Dillon, and Zeke. I still would start guys like Gibson. Edmonds, Javante, Aaron Jones ahead of him for right now. Again, it's tough because the utilization we saw for him is RB1, you know, type of business. The matchup's obviously more than fine going up against Atlanta this week. But yeah, I'm not convinced right now that Cam Akers is completely out of the picture. Like this isn't San Francisco we're talking about. I feel like, you know, we can put some level of trust in what we've heard from all the beat reporters and McVeigh himself throughout the offseason. Like, I don't think that was all just fodder the entire time i think if mcveigh really trusted henderson he wouldn't have been hyping up acres but man we if we just look at what happened on the field it certainly is in favor of henderson yeah yeah i mean i i have him a little bit lower or i guess i have him at rb23 so it's kind of low versus what what you other guys here the problem is i like the usage for guys like like i've well this is ppr so guys like i've chase edmonds above him i have patterson your boy above him i don't know i just like what those guys were doing i feel like even though Henderson may have established himself as being, you know, the guy, um, I think it's more fragile than it probably is for those for those other guys. And, you know, I'm not convinced that the role within that offense is necessarily going to going to be that that great also. So we'll we'll see what ends up happening. But I'm I'm still a little bit more wait and see on him versus the other guys who were assumed to be the RB1 and then were the RB1. Those are the guys I'm still gonna lean on them as being safer, at least from a floor perspective. You mentioned Chase Edmonds. Edmonds had like the role that we assumed Eckler was going to have. That could be really yeah. good for Chase Edmonds uh, moving forward. Explosive pass catching back and an offense that, you know, wasn't, didn't exactly light the world on fire in week one, but at a minimum, I'd like to be better. <laughs> Two was bad. Okay. That was bad. He was bad, bad, man. Like, it's one of these weird things where, you know, he's going to hit like one bomb to Tyreek. Is this going to be, oh, I was told that too. It was bad. And it's like, oh, man, like if, if Waddle doesn't, do waddle things to break those tackles wouldn't have been a great box score dude they could have had a 70 yard house call in the first play of the game like jonathan jones had his eyes in the backfield and tyreek was just right there bad snap ball got tipped i'm not completely completely putting it on Tua, but certainly wasn't an electric performance what do you think of uh we're getting into travis Etienne here but before that overall thoughts on trevor lawrence because i thought he looked pretty damn terrible out there kevin i was happy to see the jaguars offense have Christian Kirk flashing all over the field. Zay Jones, even Marvin Jones were getting open. They were throwing the ball more downfield, but it just seemed like Lawrence continues to hold that ball a little bit too long and just a lot of missed opportunities, man. I know the ETN dropped the three-yard touchdown, but 
There was a missed touchdown to ETN on a wide open wheel. Zay Jones was open for another one. Marvin Jones got open down the sideline. A lot of misses for Trevor Lawrence. I'm happy that we got some sort of, you know, comeback mode stats because there were way too many games last year where we got none of that. So just week one, I'm not writing the guy out, but what did you, what do you think about Trevor Lawrence in his first game with Doug Peterson? I mean, I thought it was similar to what we saw last year from what he was doing, which is not good, right? Um, got a touchdown pass at least last year. <laughs> he didn't, he didn't get a touchdown for like half the season last year. So I think the thing with Lawrence is he he does – he makes certain throws, and you talk about how he's able to, to hook up with Christian Kirk. So I think from a fantasy perspective, his receivers, it's not necessarily that bad. He can make certain throws. But there's certain things you just can't do. Like you can't miss ETN in the end zone on that first drive. You can't miss Marvin Jones when they're blitzing you, they, and you pick up the blitz on third down, and you have a guy down the field for, e, for big, easy yards there. So that's the problem. The problem is he just can he's just not putting it all together. He's showing you the flashes, but not putting that together. So that's a bit concerning because I don't know if that's something that just ends up getting corrected. I guess, you know, Josh Allen miraculously corrected everything after two seasons, but I, I don't know if that's going to get corrected or if it'll get, get, get corrected this season, at least. Can't overstate how good Christian Kirk looked, man. And I wasn't out on him going to the year, but just it was more so the overall Jacksonville offense. And I've seen some people, you know, hyping up Zay Jones as a waiver wire guy. And m- m- maybe, man, it could happen. I Josh Morris, colleague. Josh. Josh. <laughs> Never seen someone. I mean, first of all, the, he's he's like, no one has ever lapped a victory like, like Josh <laughs> Morris when he's when he's going here. But yeah, he's like, Zay Jones. It's like, dude, 60 yards. Calm down. This is not, this is not, this is they're, not crazy here. Uh, they're not victory laps. They're victory marathons when it comes to Josh, right? Yeah, but exactly. Love you, Josh. Love you, Josh. But yeah, but say jones like my, my issue is if henry ruggs didn't do the henry ruggs things i think a lot of people would still know not even know like zay jones is a guy i mean he was just a backup on the raiders and he got paid maybe it happens i just see a receiver that's probably going to have six or seven hundred yards by the time the year's done and maybe he finds the end zone a couple times i just don't really see uh the full bull case for say well, jones is not going to be good enough the offense that's, is just not going to be good enough to support to support him and kirk who looks like he's going to be definitely the guy i mean you're happy about kirk i, I would yeah. be very very happy about kirk you know zay jones if you if everyone on your team gets injured and you need the bi-week filler yeah go ahead you know it, it, it's your he, he's 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 ready he's ready to step in week six or whatever that might be i'm in some 14 team leagues where we got three flexes i get it like you put zay jones in a flex you know be, be good I, I had antoine wesley starting some games at the end of last season like i know how it gets it's not like he's hands off but yeah i'm gonna take julio jones and josh palmer and some of these other streamers ahead of the guy oh, for yeah. sure okay. quickly quickly on etn i i think we saw the two robinson touchdowns and we kind of in the drop from etn yes he did get missed on the other one and we kind of just wrote it off like oh this is james robinson's backfield now not so fast my friend they actually split snaps right down the middle 50 each Robinson had 11 carries and two targets ETN had four carries and four targets just from the eye test too. ETN looked explosive as hell Robinson didn't look bad by any stretch of the imagination so he certainly seems to be back where are you how are you kind of treating these guys moving forward man I've been ranked really close to each other both in the RB3 range I kind of look at them similarly similarly how the hell, however the hell you say that word as the Patriots running backs and the Jets running backs right now because not still not convinced about the overall upside of this offense involved. I think ETN should have more targets when the season is done, but man, right now they're still not completely, you know, refraining from Joan uh, throwing Robinson the ball. I think you have to have Robinson ranked just a bit ahead of ETN at the moment. More so both guys in the flex, as opposed to an RB two. I'm confidently firing up though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I test is not my thing, but I agree with your assessment that for me, and I was, 
as a Maryland uh, resident, this was on the old local television Ooh. that I was I was watching. R.I.P. to me, having Carson Wentz. Uh, the Wentz experience came came later in that game. But when I watched it, it was you know almost jarring when ETM would run the ball. You're like, whoa! Like so, I couldn't I, like he looks very very spry. He looks very explosive there, and there's this thing that he can't catch the ball or something. Like I don't. It's weird. We didn't hear this a lot when he was a prospect, but then over. <laughs> You know, in the offseason, he dropped that pass in the preseason, and then it became like, oh, ETN actually is not good at catching the ball. And then he dropped this other drop here. I'm going to say that's a fluky sort of thing, and it's not like they're asking him to do, you know, post patterns 70 yards down the field. So I am I, I like his upside. Now, it may not be this week. It may not be next week. But I do think a few weeks into the future, he's going to take over more and more. Because to me, it was undeniable the juice that he brought. And they're going to need explosive plays in the run and the pass game. Like just watching the linebackers try to stay with him on the wheels, no chance. And before he dropped that, like he got them down into the red zone by a nice, yeah. you know, running yeah. a real wheel and getting open behind the zone. So yeah, certainly not giving up on ETN. And look, this is pr- basically it's worst case like for Travis ETN drafters. Like the worst case was James Robinson coming back and just being ready to go. With that said. It's not the James Robinson takeover that was potentially on the table. Still is very much a two running back committee. Remember, in fantasy, we can live with two running back committees. It's 2022. There's only so many workhorses still out there. When things get to three, four running backs, that's when things really get. Well, and you want to get more routes in that committee. You you can live with a committee if you're getting more routes. I mean, he didn't drastically out out snap them. But, you know, he, he did a little bit. And they're going to be playing from behind, I think, more, you know, obviously in the, in the future, too. So that'll be part of hopefully the case for him to be in the game a bit more. Before we get going, I want to give a quick shout out to some of our sponsors. The NFL's opening week was action-packed, and it is just getting started. Get ready for week two of touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. Want more action? Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings' early win promotion. It's simple. This Sunday, bet on any NFL team to win. If your team leads by 10 points at any point during the game, you get paid instantly, even if your team loses. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet in any football game. That's code PFF only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Note that minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See description for details. Also, our newest partner, is revolutionizing the world of sports betting and fan engagement by making sports fandom profitable. That company is Symbol, the stock market for sports. Symbol was a PFF sponsor last year, and they are back for this football season. Symbol lets you trade pro and college teams like stocks and even earn cash dividend payouts when your teams win. Symbol took the throw of sports betting and combined it with the profitability of the stock market to give you a platform where fortune favors the fan. Download the Symbol mobile app for iOS by searching SIM. B-U-L-L in the App Store and use code Ian to receive a free team stock value up to $150 upon signing up. The PFF team is even getting in the symbol market themselves this season. Create a free account, enter code Ian to get a free stock value up to $150 and compete against the PFF Forecast podcast this season on Symbol. All right, All Kevin. Right. Yeah. Symbol. I feel like I should be doing something over here. Like, like I should hands. be like making it rain or something when you're talking <laughs> about the money coming in, you know, as part of the, as part of the YouTube experience. I'm, I'm just, I, I appreciate our lovely sponsors at DraftKings, but I appreciate cutting out the, you know, 10 phone numbers I had to read for folks with gambling. Hoppy, addiction. hoppy, hop, hoppy. Hoppy, man. <laughs> hoppy, excuse me. All right. Yeah. CD Lamb, one of the biggest fallers of the week just by virtue of Dak Prescott you know being out for four weeks if you ask Jerry Jones eight weeks if you ask a medical uh, professional so you can you know feel free to trust whoever you want there but CD 
11 targets out there. He was on the field for 97 freaking percent of the snaps. The Cowboys have nowhere else to go with the ball. Like, so I, Kevin, did you know who Dennis Houston was before week one? I had maybe seen <laughs> that the was in my like notes. That. that was in my game notes. Who the fuck is Dennis Houston? Yeah. <laughs> Even though he did play. He did play. And then I looked him up and he's a UDFA from, uh, I don't remember, like, like Western Central. Illinois something. or something. I don't know. Yeah. Something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, actually outsnapped Tony Pollard. So that's uh, basically the point we've reached. Now, Kellen Moore, just, I, he was trending this morning. I think Marcus Spears was someone throwing him under the bus. And yeah, pretty brutal last game. And then if you want to go ahead and look at the QB draw from the 49ers game, we all know that wasn't the greatest move ever. With that said, this still is the reigning number one scoring offense. Kevin, with Cooper Rush there, he knows the system. Do you think the system and the offense is broken enough that like all of a sudden CD Lamb, we can't trust? Because if we can't trust CD now, I don't know who we can trust for me. Yes, I fully understand the days of firing up CD as an upside wide receiver one or over. But when I look at like CD Lamb versus Brandon Cooks or Terry McLaurin, I think that's the range he should be in now. We still have a very talented alpha number one receiver. We just no longer have the certainty of also having elite quarterback play there. Yeah, I mean, he's just not going to break slates. I don't think you're going to get any slates being broken by CD Lamb, but you could get some very juicy, like, 10 82 and a touchdown type of type of okay. weeks out okay. of going forward and if you're in a ppr league those are i mean those are nice you, you, those are good to come by you can't really bench him assuming that you know he was he, you were taking him in the second round of of drafts so he, you're putting him in there and i think at least there is like this volume he's going to get volume you know maybe maybe he did it. maybe dennis houston will take over who knows but he's going to get a lot of volume. so he and also uh dalton schultz is just like you know just going to get volume and they just just feast off of that basically and playing from behind also with dalton schultz similar sentiment where i i bumped him down a few spots like in the lower tight end yeah. one range but i still think there's there's 10 pretty clear tight ends that it's tough to you know move them down too far and schultz for me tight end eight tight end nine but maybe he just overcomes it with pure pure volume man i still uh i'm not completely backing uh down from the idea that schultz is way too mid to be a top five tight end but damn it kevin if they're gonna throw the guy 10 12 balls a game it's gonna be hard for him not to get there yeah i mean this is like the, I guess we can, I was about to say the tallest midget, but then you did, I don't know, we're probably not allowed to say, the little person, um, that, you know, he, there's no one else to get Dennis Houston. Like, you know, you can't, you can't target CD lamb every single time. And then, so Dalton Schultz comes in and he looks pretty good versus their other options at this point. PFF consensus ranks with CeeDee Lamb. I have him wide receiver 15. Kevin's a little bit lower wide receiver 20. Nathan wide receiver 22. So that's that's the range now. We're talking about a mid to maybe even low end wide receiver two, uh, depending on the matchup for CD. So again, it sucks. You drafted him probably round two, maybe even early round three to be hopefully your wide receiver one. But similar to, you know, some of these other guys, it doesn't mean we need to completely panic about it and bench him. Maybe just move him from the wide receiver one spot to the flex. Light a fire under his ass. Now. You can probably bury, and I'm sure there were there were more than one, like, um, what would you say, the bold prediction that he would be, you know, wide receiver oh, yeah. one overall or something like that. So you, you can go ahead. You can RIP that one. That, that's, that's done. Wide receiver one, we'll still see if he can get a top 12 finish. But yeah, overall, don't think so. Someone that, yeah, we, now we have to bench is going to be Giants wide receiver Kadarius Tony. So I don't, can we just find out what the problem is with this guy? Is it that he raps in his spare time? Is that a freaking issue for Brian Dable? Like, I, I just really don't know, man. I, 
when we're unironically getting Richie James, like just completely shutting down Kerry Kadarius Tony. And then Brian Dable says he's still coming back from the knee. It's like, well, why was he not even listed on the injury report as a full participant in practice? He wasn't listed on it at all. It's I, I don't know, Kevin, because I fully understand that Brian Dable could forget 99% of his football knowledge and still know more about the game than I do. The guy did such good things in Buffalo. Clearly, he's a smart guy. How is Kadarius Tony playing seven snaps a week? If you don't want to give him the ball, fine. But you can't tell me that Kadarius Tony wouldn't strike a little more fear in the defense, at least make them think twice, running freaking across the formation on a on a just a just a jet motion. Don't even give him the ball. Just as a distraction. You can't tell me that he is not putting more of a, more fear into the defense than Richie James with all due respect to the Richie James family, but overall thoughts on Kadarius Tony. And at this point, are we just holding on hoping for a trade? Yeah. I mean, then you don't see that happen uh, that, that often, although the Packers were on record as being interested in him in the draft. Um, what's his uh, urban Meyer. <laughs> just like talking, loves talking about, players he didn't draft so he he's he's on record for saying that they wanted they wanted him and not etn um etn can't catch so maybe they were right about that uh in, in the draft so there's a possibility there i mean i think the thing with i would be less concerned if it wasn't for the fact that like the most valued on a team is someone who's a total pain in the ass and was drafted by the previous regime right and he, you know, he, this is not like the first thing for Tony. He was injured uh, in his first off season. He was wasn't showing up to things. Was, you know, volu- any volu- anything voluntary. <laughs> He's not there. He's nowhere to be seen. It was same thing. Remember this off season? They were talking about trading him then and potentially trading him then. So there's obviously a, a lot behind this. I don't think it's a one week thing. I don't think it's an injury thing. I think they just simply don't want to put him on the field. And so, sometimes they're trying to prove a point. You know, culture. We got to establish the culture. We got to do whatever. And he does not seem like someone who's going to fit in with what. Dable wants to establish there and they don't have a lot of pressure to win also I don't think so that could probably feed into it too so we're not panic cutting Tony just yet too talented correct I I mean I've drafted him a couple of times but god he looks so good when when he's out there so it's it's painful it's painful to see you just cannot by any stretch trust him at this point Uh, but I wouldn't cut him unless you're really in a you know 18 league or something like that with a small bench Seriously, he got like just a reverse and then like a busted trick play. And he still managed to, I think, rack up like three broken tackles on those two touches. Like the dude is absolutely electric with the ball in his hands. So hopefully just a little culture move. You know, we saw Brad Nyuk in the doghouse and we thought he'd never get out at the beginning of last year. You could argue Shanahan knew what he was doing there or argue that he didn't know what he was doing. Either way, eventually the man did get on the field. Well, I mean, Barkley's back too. So maybe they're like, we should just scheme up more for explosive plays for, for Saquon too. Maybe it means that they need him a little bit less, this kind of hybrid-ish sort of wide receiver. Yes, man, just for Shepard, first game back from an Achilles. Kenny Galladay is getting comped to a mannequin. Wandale Robinson gets hurt. If Tony still can't find the field, it's like LaVisca Chenault, like last year all over again. Although I think, you know, Tony, we've seen a little bit more out of Visca in this point, but you know, with Jacksonville, it's just like how many guys need to get hurt for uh LaVisca to actually go out there and finally put up some numbers. Uh, apparently the limit did not exist there in Jacksonville. All right. DJ Moore, Baker Mayfield came out, looked pretty bad. The first, you know, 40, 45 minutes of the game, offensive line wasn't doing him any favors. The The Panthers had minus 0.1 yards before contact uh, per carry uh, in that one. So wasn't getting much help. 
if you ask Matt Rule, though, Kevin, you know, if you just look past, you know, their final 35 plays of the game, now they're averaging uh, 7.7 yards per play. Just, you know, nothing arbitrary about that. <laughs> That's what he has the analytics staff working on. It's, it's <laughs> deceptive post-game stats that he can that he can give out. Uh, uh, and then just, you know, some brilliant stuff coming from OC Ben McAdoo about wanting to get the ball more to Christian McCaffrey. So obviously things just going great in Carolina right now. We did see Robbie, R-O-B-B-I-E Anderson go off, score a deep touchdown as he's been known to do a time or two. And once again, just look more so like the a co-number one receiver alongside DJ Moore than necessarily the definitive number two. These guys have not been together three years. Last year, DJ had like 160 targets. Robbie was pretty clearly number two. In 2021, Robbie was used more often than DJ Moore just in the offense. It was surprising to see Robbie get the underneath stuff, but he was. Do you think this is going to be more like 2020 or 2021, Kevin? Should we actually be, you know, squeezing Robbie not that far behind DJ Moore in the rankings and probably accordingly dropping DJ Moore to a wide receiver three? Or are we overreacting to one long touchdown and just one, you know, 60-minute sample size? Yeah, I mean, I guess I have less confidence in the take of who Robbie Anderson will be than who DJ Moore will be. I'm not concerned about more. I think this Browns defense is pretty good. Like they could be a really, really good defense. They have, you know, they can bring pressure. They can play good coverage. Now their, their problem last year, like from a success rate standpoint, they were really, really good. They just had too many blown coverages, too many third down things. And we saw that again, again, this week. So I wouldn't be concerned. I wouldn't be concerned at this point. I think it's just a good defense. They played. It wasn't matching up for more. And again, like the big plays that he wasn't, didn't happen to be the guy who got those big plays. So I'm not concerned at this point, but if we start happening for a couple more weeks, obviously we reassess each week. Speaking of those big plays, love the opportunity for Elijah Moore to get back on track in a big way against that defense. Denzel Ward, they don't really use him to shadow. We just saw what happened with uh, Robbie last week. Elijah Moore, those three games he's had now with Joe Flacco, clearly the Jets wide receiver one, so keep an eye out for that. Another guy on Cleveland while we're talking about him, Amari Cooper. Big time, big time. You needed to watch the game here with uh, Amari. We had a lot of Cowboys fans, you know, oh, sick three catches for 17 yards. But man, oh man, you see those wide receiver cornerback ISO shots. Three separate occasions really got wide open. Just route running looked on point and mixture of Jacoby Brissett not being able to put the ball on him. And two of those cases he got, you know, pass interfered with. So you can argue that messed up the timing. Jacoby also missed Kareem Hunt on a potential 60-yard score down the sideline. So, yeah, he made a few nice throws at the end of the game. But to me, Jacoby Brissett looked exactly like who we know Jacoby Brissett is, a good backup quarterback, but not someone that you should be expecting to engineer, you know, a legit uh, offense, a high-end passing attack. So Amari Cooper, Kevin, I have him ranked, let's see, Wide receiver 37 this week. Couldn't even squeeze him in the top 36. I don't think he needs to be started, you know, depending on your lineup. Overall thoughts on Cooper. Is this what we're going to be talking about every single week until Watson gets here? Uh, probably. Yeah. I mean, the thing, I, I think nothing has really changed from the preseason outlook. He's going to be, you know, a near every down type of receiver playing for a quarterback who's not going to be particularly efficient and in an offense where they're going to want to run the ball a bit this week is probably not going to be the greatest week. Also going against the jets, you think they're probably able to establish a lead and continue to work at, um, work in that direction. So you're not panic time. I mean, he's startable depending upon how you built your team to start the season. If you didn't go, you know, zero RB, he's a guy that you probably scooped up in somewhere in the mid rounds and maybe you can continue to, to start him there. Uh, you mentioned the like the pass interference that was that's obviously not counted. Some other things that happened in that game. I mean, he was still still targeted there. And I guess 
if you're going to short anything of what happened week one, I'll short uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones getting 11 targets a game going forward. <laughs> Top of Josh Hearnsmeyer's area by low model. Now Josh, you know, says it's one week. We can't exactly put a ton of stock behind it at the moment. But yeah, DPJ, Robbie Anderson, I, I kind of view them the same way. Kevin, we're like, yeah, they're, yeah. they're risers because they were going outside like the top 70 guys. And I now have both, you know, basically ranked, you know, in that they're within couple spots of each other and that boomer bus wide receiver five spot still not guys that you know we're at all you know confident about throwing into that starting yeah not at all two tight ends before we get out of here kyle pitts one interesting note a uh, shout out underdog nfl absolutely love their uh, news crew if you guys don't have them on notice you are missing out there guys are absolutely grinding over there shout out justin fan always doing great stuff but kyle pitts and they brought up using the lovely PFF data, how Pitts actually had his inline snaps increased by 9%. Now, we have this infatuation in the fantasy industry, Kevin, where we all want slot snaps. I don't really want slot snaps for Kyle Pitts. If the routes stay the same, I prefer he lines up at tight end where we have a better chance of a linebacker or safety covering him than him being forced to go on the outside and win against number one corners. He can do it. We've seen him do it, but it's not easy. Let's go see him just run by a linebacker that runs a 4-7 or something. But obviously down performance from Kyle Pitts. One of these, I'm kind of treating like Austin Eckler. I'm not worried about it. We still saw him running a route and over 75% of the dropbacks and all that stuff was there. And Mariota, to his credit, man, last two appearances, he hasn't really looked like the Titans Mariota. Now all of a sudden he's, uh, you know, just really tapping in that tool threat upside, throwing a decent enough ball along the way. So overall thoughts on Kyle Pitts. Do you think that once again, maybe we're too quickly putting him in that upper echelon or tight ends, or are we just going to be laughing about this one down week here pretty soon? I think it's more of the the latter um yeah you mean he, he had the usage you want the fact that Mariota looked good I think is a positive for him going forward as far as the offense being functional going forward I mean it's the same coach the same scheme everything else from when he put up a thousand plus yards as a rookie so I'm I'm not worried about it I do think maybe we're prematurely putting them in a top three type of bucket along with Mark Andrews and Travis Kelsey. I'll blame um, Adam Levitan over at Establish the Run, who was a big proponent of his. Cause I saw, I saw him go in front of Mark Andrews in some drafts and yeah, in, in near the end of the year. So maybe that was a little bit premature um, to, to put him in that sort of category, but he still has that, that ability, you know, well, I'm going to let him slide for, for this week. And again, I'm happy about how Marcus Mariota looked. And they're not going to be ahead also in a lot of games necessarily going forward too. The route rate was the only somewhat problematic thing because look, I mean, the three kind of just key numbers, if we're looking at tight end usage, snap rate, route rate, and targets per route run. So Pitts and Mark Andrews had the exact same snap rate and targets per route run. Andrews though was running a route on 94% of Lamar Jackson's dropbacks. Kyle Pitts at 76%. Formerly of PFF, Dwayne McFarlane has done some good research in the past showing that if you can get that route rate above 80% and the targets per route run above 20%, you just have a long list of tight end ones that we've seen time and time again. So 76% close enough. And again, it could easily just be. Yeah, it's close enough. Again, game script was going the other It's just direction. one win. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Another guy, Dawson Knox here, 86% snaps, 66% routes, targeted on just 8% of his routes here. So to me, Dawson Knox and Gerald Everett, like similar kind of, I guess, outlooks moving forward. We have guys that maybe don't have the most ideal usage. They're in offenses where the quarterback is going to go more so to other wide receivers. But man, if we're going to bet on any tight ends that don't have just, again, A-plus elite usage, and there's only a few of them that do have that, it might as well be guys catching passes from Josh Allen and Justin Herbert. 
Yeah, exactly. But the fact that you put those two side by side, um, one of them was going a lot higher than the other one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, that's why the Knox thing, I remember last year, midway through the year, I think I picked him up in some leagues and then I was like, Oh, this guy's legit. Like I'm going to keep on starting. Like that's where he was not, not that long ago. So yeah, the touchdown potential for him is much, much higher than these other middling sort of tight ends. But like you just said, he was in that mix where if you were going to talk about the difference between, you know, the tight end 9, 10, down to tight end, maybe all the way in the early 20s probably, you're going to make the case for someone. The case for Ever and the case for Knox seemed exactly the same to me, uh, playing with the offense, being in a high-end place. Now, Knox could just as well have the type of week this week that Everett had last week where he gets the touchdown, everything else happens, but he's not going to be a reliable option. Each week you're going to be spinning the wheel and seeing whether or not you get zero, one, or maybe even two touchdowns out of this offense. Hey, a lot of tight ends don't even have a chance to get the two touchdowns, you know, on on their respective uh, wheel spin. So we do have that going for him in regards to Everett right now. That's the case. Keep an eye on Donald Parham though. He is ruled out again for this week without a hamstring injury, but we saw this last year. The chargers really like keeping three tight ends involved. And they low key did it last week with Gerald Everett, the ageless Richard Rogers, and even Trey McKitty. Got to go get Trey McKitty. Some, some run out there, Kevin. So Everett, I do think that his, you know, target total by end of the year, it's going to be more so like in the 70, 80 range, as opposed to, to 110 plus but hey 70 80 targets from justin herbert versus you know 90 100 targets for cole Komet from justin fields you know you can kind of pick whichever one you're feeling there but all right everyone he's he's the perfect guy in a similar sort of way like if you drafted a late tight end you were just throwing a dart doesn't look like it hit scoop up everett and you probably could just start him the rest of the year absolutely all right guys panic or chill we've done it not panicking too much here. A couple guys, though, obviously, you know, need to adjust our expectations. Ten so, acres were panicking. Yeah. <laughs> Had to throw one more. We're beyond panic. We're beyond panic. Kevin, we're I, the, we've fallen in. We can't get up. We're on that stage of, of a life alert. We're a life alert when it comes to Ken Akers right now. I saw you uh, tweet out some good show showdown data that you've been grinding. Let the people know we got at PFF.com. And as always, they can hear your full thoughts on the Unexpected Points podcast. Yeah, yeah. So every Island game, I do a showdown write-up where it has projections based upon similar historical games for optimal lineups. And then it also has uh, different ownership pro- uh, projections for everyone to find plays who are who are strong leverage there. So that's available. I do a similar sort of thing, like putting together similar matchups, looking at potential stacks and ceilings on a DFS on a weekly basis. Quarterback rankings, unexpected points, all that sort of stuff uh, on the podcast there. And the main unexpected points is not like a betting podcast, but I do crunch some numbers to say, you know, how did this team actually perform versus the different numbers pointing out things like we talked about Miami earlier about maybe they weren't quite as good as what that score ended up being. Maybe even Baltimore wasn't quite as good as that score was being. Uh, maybe the Bengals were a lot better than the Steelers, even though they ended up losing yeah. that game. It's trying to quantify those sorts of things because going forward, the actual point differentials are not going to be as predictive as looking at these adjusted point differentials for how good teams are in the future. As always, you can find my quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end breakdowns throughout the week, the sheesh report, injury analysis, and of course, a mismatch manifesto with DFS. My fingers are hurting, man. My voice is sore. Football season is back, baby. So great day to be great as always. For Kevin, I'm Ian. Thanks so much for tuning in the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care, everybody.